When Micah was a teenager, she liked to go shopping with her friends. And she wrote about it in her diary. Today, Karen and me went to Dapper Dan. We were trying on jeans for a long time, and then I said, these are really nice jeans. So I put them on under my pants and walked out. (laughs) The next time, she's getting a pair. That's Micah confessing to petty theft in her diary. I'm Dan Meisner, and this? This, right now, is grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. How are you doing? This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Thunder Bay, we have an encounter with aliens, an essay about being prime minister, an obsession with a pop star, and much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can help us understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. We've been doing Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids for more than a decade. And one of the most interesting things I've learned in that time is how kids often use pop culture to define themselves. Growing up, our taste in movies and music and books can form a big part of our identity and our outlook on the world. When Jessica was in grade seven, she was a huge fan of Paula Abdul. And at our show in Thunder Bay, Jessica shared a few diary entries all about her Paula Abdul fandom. She says we're also going to hear some hints, a little bit of foreshadowing, that eventually she would come out as lesbian. Please welcome Jessica to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids stage. November 16th, 1989. Oh my God, if anyone ever read this diary, I would be so embarrassed. Just look at all that personal, private stuff. I'm going to write something personal today, too. But this is something practically the whole class knows. I'm totally in love with Paula Abdul. (laughs) No, not in love, in love kind of thing. I'm not a les. (laughs) Paula Abdul is just so awesome. I almost feel complimented myself when someone says something good about Paula. (laughs) But when someone says something mean, it hurts. It honestly hurts as if they were saying it about me. Like today, Heather likes Metallica, right? Well, she was in a bad mood. I was criticizing Def Leppard to bug Brandon. He likes them. And he was criticizing Paula. Then I said, well, they're both better than Metallica to bug Heather. Then she said, well, at least they don't sing to people in their lingerie. 
Ooh, that hurt bad. <laughs> then my mom said, Paula Abdul will probably be one of those people that in five years we all say, whatever happened to them? <laughs> that got me mad. It's like, lay off, mother. <laughs> Who does she expect me to like? Bonnie Raitt? <laughs> Almost the whole class and both teachers know that I majorly like Paula Abdul. If they want to get me mad, they know what to do. Yup, insult Paula Abdul. In volleyball, right when I was about to serve, Brandon yelled out, Paula Abdul sucks! <laughs> he did that to fumble me up. Well, his plan backfired. He made me so mad that I belted the ball over the net and nearly pegged someone off. <laughs> Some people think, oh, she just likes Paula Abdul, but I'm crazed about Paula and her music, dancing, everything. I want to meet her. When me, Ali, and Jesse and her mom were coming out of the art gallery, we saw just a couple of stars in the sky. Jesse and her mom were saying, wish upon a star. So we all wished. I knew what Allie wished for, something about Nathan. But they didn't know what I wished for. I said to Allie, I bet you can guess. She whispered, boyfriend, to me. I've been sulking about not having one lately. But I said, no, this wish will never in a million years come true. So Allie was saying, tell me. I said, you'll just laugh at me. She said, no, I won't. And then she guessed, to meet Paula Abdul. <laughs> I said, yes. She, she said, that could very well happen. I was so glad Ali said that instead of laughing at me. I really am serious about wanting to meet Paula. <laughs> Wish, that's all I can do. If I told this to my friends, they would laugh in my face or call me a les for wanting to meet Paula Abdul and give her a hug. That's why I wish I had a real best friend. A best friend would understand. Last night, I dreamt about Paula Abdul teaching us rhythmic gymnastics. <laughs> Now, what Jessica does not know is that we have arranged tonight, <laughs> sitting in the back row, One of my favorite things about diary entries is how they can tell a story over time. When you have a diary that spans a number of different years, it can show how you've changed and it can highlight the emotional roller coaster of growing up. Our next reader, Nancy, brought a number of diary entries that she wrote annually on her birthdays. 
starting at 12 years old when things were sweet and funny and a little bit bizarre. And then we're going to hear some later diary entries as she got a little bit older. And a heads up, this includes Nancy's struggles with anxiety. Please welcome Nancy to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote Us Kids stage. October 15th, 1989. Hi, today is my 12th birthday. Looking back at the years has made me realize how different I've become and how quickly I've grown up mentally. I don't think that I would really mind being very different from other people in more ways than I am. When I grow up, I would like to either be a lawyer or a teacher. Probably I'll definitely be a mother. Maybe I'll even be a professional whistler and make tapes, records, and CDs. <laughs> Anyone reading this diary wouldn't be interested in what a 12-year-old girl got for her birthday. I got a stuffed animal, a computer game, and a very nice turtleneck with little pink flowers and green petals, and a pink button with the company's name, Northern Reflections. <laughs> P.S. It's a good thing there's a lock on here. I wrote a few crazy things. <laughs> October 15, 1992. Today was my 15th birthday. From my friends, I got a good mixtape, a Bon Jovi record, a Grateful Dead patch and sticker, two Aerosmith records, and I got a new diary, which I'll use after this one. I don't know why the hell they bought me records. <laughs> October 15, 1996. It is 12 o'clock. I just turned 19. I didn't expect to feel any different, and I don't. My life is going well. I don't know what my plans will be once high school is over. I still want to be a writer or maybe an editor. I've been spending a lot of time alone this fall. I'm getting more and more comfortable with who I am. I can't believe I'm 19. Time goes by too quickly. <laughs> October 15th, 1997. And while now I'm 20 years old, I don't feel any different unless you consider feeling alone something new. I guess birthdays aren't fun when you're older. If I have a family, I'm going to give them the best birthdays. I'm in my first year of university. It's kind of boring. I don't really know anyone. I hope to leave Toronto next year. Hoping turning 21 will be fun, Nancy. October 15th, 1998. It's around 2 a.m. on my birthday. It really doesn't feel like my birthday at all. I'm living and going to school in Montreal, so it's my first birthday away from home. This past year was definitely the most difficult year of my life so far. Around Christmas, I had what I believed to have been a nervous breakdown. I haven't been the same since. In some ways, I have to say that things are better. I've mostly learned how to deal with the panic attacks, and here I am, living in Montreal, taking creative writing. In other ways, I think I'm pretty messed up. I still wonder who I am all the time, and everything that goes along with that. Some nights I find myself crying for no reason. I feel overwhelmed at having this life. I think it's a huge responsibility. I've thought many times that I'd like to see a counselor to find out whether or not other people feel as confused as I do, and whether or not there's anything that might help. I will hopefully start being happy again soon. I feel better after writing in here. I've been kind of crying the whole time, but it's helped put things into perspective. October 15th, 1999. It's my 22nd birthday. Birthdays aren't exciting anymore, but we're having a party, so that will be fun. I'm still living in Montreal with three roommates, and we have an awesome apartment. I don't panic that much anymore. I think I'm a bit depressed, and I'll probably start seeing a counselor for that and the anxiety. I joined the gym, and I try to go a lot. I know I feel worse when I smoke and drink, but I am in university. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, things are pretty good. October 15th, 2000. I am now 23 years old. This birthday was very low-key. I've been pretty stable and happy. 
I'm in my last year at Concordia, and by the end of the year, I'll have finished a novella. I'm alone and a lot and enjoying it. I live with a stranger and his Rottweiler. <laughs> I don't feel old, and the future's looking pretty exciting. October 15, 2005. Today I saw my counselor. I figured out some stuff, and I'm going to write it down to remind myself. I can speak to the anxious side of myself with compassion and patience, saying that it has a small place in my life, but that it usually isn't necessary. My fear has always been of freaking out and of never coming back to normal, going crazy from panic. That's what my nervous breakdown felt like. Here's a quote I like. My doom appeared fixed, but the terrible eclipse lasted only a moment when life blazed forth again with preternatural clearness. John Muir. Hi, Dan. This is Nancy from Thunder Bay. I turned 40 on my last birthday, and having a chance to read on grown-ups read things they wrote as kids felt uh, really right. Looking through all my old writing was pretty cathartic, um, and it showed me what has changed, but also what has always been there in my life. Really what I got from, from reading was that um, I saw that instead of saying that I have got anxiety or that I have panic attacks. Really, I am me. This is the way I am. Um, And being an anxious person has shaped my personality and my choices. Um, But the biggest thing for me has just been accepting that this is me. Thanks. When Emma was in grade six, she was required to keep a journal. And we are going to hear some of Emma's responses to the writing prompts that her teacher gave the class, including what would you do if you were prime minister? And if you were a cookie, what kind of cookie would you be? Please welcome Emma to the Grown Ups Three Things They About This Kid stage. All right, so if you were Prime Minister of Canada, what would you do, why, and how? If I were Prime Minister of Canada, I would make myself not Prime Minister of Canada. (laughs) I would do this because being the Prime Minister is a big responsibility, and I don't want that job. (laughs) I have better things to do. (laughs) I would not be Prime Minister by either getting fired quitting or trying not to get elected again. (laughs) All right. If I were a cookie, what kind would I be and why? If I were a cookie, I would be a poisonous, bad-tasting spinach cookie. (laughs) So no one would eat me. (laughs) But I would be thrown away and be rotten because no one would like my flavor. But if I were a good-tasting cookie, I would be eaten and die sooner, which is bad, so I'd be a poisonous, bad-tasting spinach cookie. (laughs) 
Our next reader, Will, brought a short piece of fiction he wrote in the late 1970s when he was 12. This is the tale of two kids whose parents are not present, and we're going to find out why. Please welcome Will to the Grown Up Street Thinks They Wrote His Kids stage. The story is called What Happened, or as I'd like to subtitle it, Pointless Adjectives. At one in the morning on the 5th of November, when Clem and Mary Hartfield were driving down a deserted road in the Florida Everglades, after a party at one of the few houses there, they had a weird feeling inside that may have been caused by the fog, the full moon, or the eerie silence which had fallen over the Everglades. Anyway, Clem drove on with his eyes transfixed on the dusty road. There was no conversation. Mary, feeling uneasy, tried to start one. Well... What did you think of the Johnson's party? You know, twarn't too bad. There was a five or ten minutes of eerie silence. Then there was a sudden scream that shot them into a terrified horror. Jeez, what, what was that, Mary? I don't know. Why don't you take a look, Clem? Well, I ain't too sure I want to. Well, what do you know? It's Johnson's old tomcat. You let him out, Mary. He'll go home. Sure. You know, Mary, I think that gave me a gray hair or two. Another hour or so, and they reached a crossroad. Let's take the short way home, Clam. The kids are waiting. Sure. This was a decision they may never live to regret. About a mile from their home, the engine stopped dead. She won't turn over. Now we're stuck here. We only got a mile or so to walk. They started trudging towards home down the narrow road which bordered a dense, dark forest full of perils such as boa constrictors and alligators. (laughs) They were so caught up in an argument about the car, they never noticed the surrounding area was growing steadily lighter. They never noticed it until it was very bright. It was then they were struck with a terrifying fear that was rooted to their souls. (laughs) They looked into the piercing bright light, and then the next instant, were gone. Dawn broke slowly in the Everglades. The fog was so dense that you couldn't see the bright orange sun glimmering till around noon. Tommy had stayed up all night with his younger sister, but his younger sister, Betsy, had fallen asleep. Waiting for her parents, not knowing they would never return, he thought to himself, maybe they took the long road, but even if they did, they'd be home by now. He woke Betsy up. Bessie, hey, Bessie, I'm going to go look for Ma and Pa. Ain't they home yet? No. Well, I'll see you later. Keep the door locked and don't go outside. About three-quarters of a mile down the road, he found two scorched marks on the earth. He went a little further up the road, pondering how the marks got there. He reached the car where it had stopped. Everything was in order. No signs of life. He headed home. A few months later, the near... (laughs) That's what you do, right? It gets worse. A few months later, the nearby orphanage heard of the incident. After a week, a middle-aged couple adopted the children. It so happens that I live beside the couple. That's how I met the kids. Tommy told me the story, which sank in and stayed in my brain. Weeks, months, years passed. Betsy got married, but Tom and I were still single. One weekend, Tom got the urge to go back to the Everglades. After some convincing, he coaxed me into coming. Betsy and her husband came, too. An hour and a half later, we reached the house. It had more occupants than were there when Tommy's family had lived there. 
raccoons and squirrels to mention a couple. We drove up the road to where we found two faded marks. Up further we found the old car rolled over in the ditch. We decided to stay the night so we slept in the station wagon. There was some weird feeling I had inside, something that kept me awake. Tom was awake too. Suddenly his eyes grew as big as saucers. I turned to see a glowing craft and two silver humanoid with a red visor. They came toward the car. He, we locked all the doors, but the aliens pulled the doors off anyway. We were taken up a ramp into something like a waiting room. They signaled towards Betsy's husband, Dick. We heard screams coming down from the end of the metallic hallway. I saw two canisters at the end of the passage. I walked down the corridor, peering inside each doorway. Then I came to the canisters. In one, there was a man, and the other, a woman. Each had something missing. The man had a slice in his chest and, and an eye gone and his teeth. The woman's hair, arm, finger, and a leg were missing. I called Tom. I said, look at this. <laughs> he stared for a moment. He screamed and sank to the floor, crying. Leaning over him, I said, what's wrong? That's my parents. What? That's why they disappeared. Now horror was added to the element of being terrified, and this equaled panic. In a frenzy, Tom began charging up the hall, so I followed. We reached the waiting room. He grabbed Betsy, and we headed for the exit. An alien reached for its blaster. Tom smashed it from the alien's grip. We ran for the hatch. Suddenly, I felt a sharp pain in my right arm. I looked down. My arm was blown off. I fell to the deck in agony. Tom grabbed my shoulder and dragged me out. We lay in the bushes. We heard Dick's screams. Two aliens marched down the ramp towards us. We've been seen. This is it. But that wasn't it. There was a bright flash and everything was gone. There was only a patch of scarred ground and my missing arm to prove our ordeal. Thanks. I introduced that, Will, as a piece of fiction, but you never actually told me. It is a piece of fiction, correct? You don't know where I grew up. <laughs> At the top of this show, we heard from Micah. She's the one who pretty brazenly stole a pair of jeans. But crime was not the only thing Micah wrote about in her teenage diary. And at our show in Thunder Bay, Micah shared a few more entries about church, a crush, and her relationship with her mother, who she gave a special nickname. Now, a quick heads up, Micah's diaries include a lot of cuss words, which we do not bleep. Also, you should know that in her diary, Micah gave each day a letter grade, depending on how well that day had gone. I graded my days back then, so that was in 83. So this is February 83, this was an A-plus day. I've fallen in love with a German. After all those Italians, I don't believe it. His name is Rob Benzinger. I've known him for a long time, a couple of months. But today I found, I found out his phone number and last name. I called him today, but he wasn't home. Oh well, I'll try again tomorrow. A-plus day. This was a D-Day, March 11th of 83. Today we went to confession. I didn't confess, though. I would have been there for a year. (laughs) 
The next day, March 12th, today I had to baby shit. Instead of babysitting, I didn't like it. This job's been nothing but trouble since I've started. I almost couldn't go to the Brennan dance on the 4th, but I begged Igor to babysit for me. Very boring day, totally. That was an F-plus day. March 17th, 83, A-. Today is St. Patrick's Day. I wore my hot pants. That means the stolen ones. (laughs) And one of Karen's blouses. If Igor finds out, I am dead. So you should know that Igor was the name I called my mom, apparently, back in 83. (laughs) March 1983. I miss Rob. Igor is a fucking goddamn son of a motherfucking cock-sucking, shit-eating bitch. March 24th, 83. I still really miss Rob. (laughs) I probably won't be able to talk to him because I got grounded on Thursday. That fucking pisses me right off. (laughs) My day was one fucking total bore. Karen is also grounded, but only till Wednesday. I hope everyone will start calling me Michelle soon because my name really sucks hard. (laughs) April 1st, 1983, F double minus. Today I didn't do much. I'm so fucking depressed. I feel that Rob and I are drifting apart. It's not fair. I feel like dying. I want to cry, but it's hard. Why do I always have to suffer? I hate this. April 11th, C-plus day. The only good thing about today was I saw Rob, and I was with my friends. Today we got our midterm reports. I did excellent. I'm 0.3% from the honor roll. I hate Igor forever. (laughs) Tomorrow's my fucking birthday. (laughs) No big shit. Today Karen snuck me a note. I'm upset about everything. My birthday the next day was only a B plus, 1983. Today was my birthday, it was pretty good. I guess I got a pack of smokes from Karen. (laughs) I haven't talked to Igor today. It, I called her it too. It got me makeup, nail polish, but I refused to take it. She She gave some to my sister and she kept the rest. Bitch, I hate her. Did anybody else pick up on that turning point where the language got really salty really fast? That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Finlandia Club in Thunder Bay, Ontario, in partnership with the Anishinaabe Skills Development Program at the Thunder Bay Indigenous Friendship Center. And it was produced by Jenna Meisner. 
Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. And our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. Special thanks this week to Walter Pretty. If you want to know about upcoming live events, the single best thing you can do is join our email newsletter. Just visit grownups.fm and click newsletter or even easier, use the link in the episode notes on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.